The parrot continues to discuss laws of different partnerships, of pieces of property, and the Mishnah begins to talk about different members of a courtyard. During the times of the Mishnah, most houses would open up into a courtyard, which was shared by all those people whose houses opened up into that particular courtyard. And as long as they haven't split the courtyard and they are still sharing it, Kof and Isai, the members of the courtyard, can force each other, they can force each member of the courtyard, Livnois, Bisha'ar, to build a gatehouse for a guard to sit there and to make sure the public don't enter into the courtyard, Videles, and also to build a door for the courtyard, and these two things are for the sake of protecting the courtyard from other people entering into it. This is considered to be a basic need of the courtyard, such that any member of that courtyard would need to contribute to towards getting these things for the courtyard. Now, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says that's not necessarily true. Not every type of courtyard is fitting, and is it considered totally necessary for that courtyard to have a gatehouse, for a guard to sit there and stop people coming in? Only if the courtyard is very near to a public area is that necessary. But if it's in a quiet street somewhere, then that is not necessary, and you wouldn't be able to force every member of the courtyard to contribute towards such a thing. Alright, the Mishnah now talks about people who live in a city, and what residents of a city are can be forced to contribute towards for the sake of the protection of that city. So the Mishnah says, The residents of the city can force each resident of that city to build for the city a wall, and double doors, which are very large and strong, and a type of very strong bolt or crossbar for the sake of locking these strong doors in order to protect from any enemy entering into the city. But once again, Rabbi Shimon Gamliel says, Not every type of city is fitting and is it considered totally necessary for it to have a wall around the city. If it's on the border, then it would be very necessary. But if this city is much more inland and there are many other cities surrounding it before you reach any enemy, so that city wouldn't necessarily need a wall, and therefore you can't force every resident of that city to contribute towards a wall when is it not when it isn't deemed totally necessary. Asks the Mishnah, Kamehebo'ir, how long should does somebody need to be in the city? The Heik Anshe'o'ir, in order to be considered to be one of the residents of the city, such that he would need to contribute towards these things. Shneimosachoydesh, 12 months, then it's considered to be that he is somebody who lives there and would need to contribute just like all of the other residents of the city. But the Mishnah adds that Konobabistira, if he brought somewhere to live in that city, so that's already a sign that he's here to stay, and therefore Harihu Yad, he would be considered like a resident of the city immediately. Mishnah already in the first Mishnah of the Perek of the Masechta, we mentioned that there are two types of courtyard, depending on the size. One is the Chotzer Shayeshbud in Chalukah, a courtyard which is large enough that one member of the courtyard can turn around to the other member or members and force them to split the courtyard, because it's large enough that even once they've split it, it will still be useful for the same purposes. It won't be too small to do what they could have done until now. And the other courtyard is a courtyard which is too small for one member to force the other members to split it. 
That having been said, even in such a courtyard, there is something else which you can force the other members to do. And if we take a simple case where there are only two members of the courtyard, you can tell the other one either buy my half of the courtyard or sell me your half of the courtyard. So now the Mishnah comes to define what exactly is the size which differentiates between a chotzer sheyesh b'din chalukah and a chotzer she'ein b'din chalukah. Ein chulken is the chotzer. One cannot force other members of a courtyard to split it. Unless after it is split, there will still remain for each member of the courtyard for an area of 4 by 4 amas. Now, though it's not mentioned in the Mishnah, this does not include another area of 4 by 4 amas in front of each door to the house. If, let's say, each of them has one door to their house, the area right in front of that door of 4 by 4 amas is considered to be just like the entranceway to that door, a place where they can put things down if they are bringing it into the house or out of the house. And other than this area of 4x4 amas in front of each door, there needs to be remaining another area of 4x4 amas, which they can just use for their regular activities, which they would use the courtyard for. And only if there is, if the courtyard is large enough that there would be such a space remaining for each one of them once it is split, only then can one member force the other members to split the courtyard. Because only then would they be able to use the courtyard for basically the same uses as they have been doing until now. Veloisa Sodes, similarly one is not able, if somebody shares a field, he can't force the other one to split it. Unless each each half will be large enough that he's able to plant at least nine cav of seeds in his half. Because if he can only plant less than that, then it's not really fit for planting anymore. We're talking about a field of grain. So there would be plowing in the field, and if it's only a very small amount, it's not worth all of the effort which it takes to take care of that field. Rabbi Huda, Rabbi Huda says, the amount is not nine kav, but it needs to be large enough for each half to be big enough to plant nine half kav of seeds. So that is four and a half kav of seeds in each half. When it comes to a garden, so there's less effort which is required to take care of a garden where vegetables are planted, as opposed to grain. So even if there is a smaller amount which somebody would plant there, it is still considered to be useful and people would plant smaller patches of vegetables. So what is the amount that there has to be? It has to be large enough that they can plant half a cup of seeds in each half of the garden. Rabbi Akiva says basically it's a quarter of a cow of seeds which need to be planted there. Alright, and now the Mishnah gives another list. For this, a tracklin. A tracklin is a very large sort of hall. For this, a mayron. A mayron is also another type of hall or possibly some other very fancy room. For one can't force a split of a dovecot where doves are kept, one can't force a split of a cloak, nor of a bathhouse, an olive press, all of these things, if there are partners who own them, one partner can't force the other one to split it, unless each one will end up with a share in that item, or in that building, which is worth, which is as worthwhile for him to keep. And the Mishnah gives a rule. Zayaklo, this is the rule. Kolshiyicholik. Anything which once it is split, ushumoy alov, it still has the same name. 
meaning it can still be used for exactly the same things. You might have a bit less of it, but the usage of that item still remains the same, Chalkin, then you can force a split. But if not, the in Chalkin, you cannot force the other partner to split it with you. Imosai, when is all of this said? Only in a case where not both of them want to split it. If they both agree to split it, then certainly they're able to do so, like we saw in the first Mishnah of the Perek. In a case where they both do want to, even if it's smaller than the amounts which we gave, they can split it, but the Mishnah adds, if they are both partners in the ownership of holy scrolls, of a Torah, or other scrolls in which holy things were written in it, then of course, Alphabish's name writes in, even if they both want to split it, of course, they can't tear that up in half, because that is considered to be a disgrace towards the holiness of these scrolls. The focus of this perek is the limitations upon what one is able to do within his own property, because of the effect that it will have in somebody else's property. And the first example of the perek is, a person may not dig a pit, to keep water inside of the pit, some of the Burishal Haverai, close by to a pit which is situated in his friends, in somebody else's property. Vele Shiach, Shiach is a sort of narrower, longer pit. Vele Ma'ara, some sort of cave-like pit, which has a roof on top of the pit. And all these things are kept, are used for keeping water. Nor may one dig a canal of water, or a sort of square pit of water, which is used to wash clothes. Unless he makes this pit at least three tfachim away from the wall of the other person's pit. Now that doesn't mean the edge of the pit, it means the edge of the wall of the pit. And we consider the three tefachim, the thickness of three tefachim of the ground surrounding the other person's pit to be like the wall of that pit. So three tefachim from there, which means altogether six tefachim away from the beginning of the inside of the other person's pit, you would be able to build your own pit or your own body of water in your property. And this is because if your body of water is too near his pit of water, then the water which can be absorbed in the earth surrounding your pit can end up weakening the other person's pit and causing him damage. Now, as well as distancing your pit from his pit, the sodbasid, you should also coat the inside of your pit with lime in order to prevent the water from escaping the inside of the pit and spreading through the soil and the earth around the pit. That is also a protective measure which you should take in order not to damage the other person's pit. Alright, Marchikin es gefes, one needs to distance gefes, which is the waste of olives. When olives are processed or pressed into oil, the waste parts would be piled up, and as they are rotting, they would produce heat. That's what naturally happens as they are deteriorating and decaying. And the heat which emerges from the olive waste can weaken a wall. So if you're piling this thing up near to somebody else's wall, not a wall of a pit, but a regular wall above ground, then you need to make sure that you don't do it right next to the other person's wall, because it can weaken the wall. Now the Mishnah lists a few other things which could weaken the wall. Versa zevel, manure, versa melach, salt, versa sid, lime, versa slotim, and stones. 
specifically flintstones. All of these things, if they are placed very near to somebody else's wall, can damage it. And therefore you would need to distance them from somebody else's wall by by three tfachim. Alternatively, another way to stop the heat of these items from weakening the wall is that the Sobasid, if he puts lime on the other person's wall, then that would strengthen the wall, and then he could even put these things which produce heat nearer than three Tfachim within the wall, because the wall is now stronger and won't be affected by the heat of these items. Alright, Marchikin es Hazroim, one needs to distance seeds, if he is planting seeds, as Hamacharisha, or if he is plowing, he can't bring the plow too near to the other person's wall, because again it would weaken the wall, Vesmiraglayim, or urine, which can cause things to dissolve, and again if that's near to the wall, it can cause damage to the wall, from the wall, again these things have to be distanced from the wall by at least three Tfachim. And one needs to distance a millstone. When somebody is grinding in a millstone, so the vibrations can cause things to shake, and again that can cause the wall to be weakened if it's done very near to the wall. There has to be at least shloisha, at least three tfachim in a shechev, away from the shechev, which refers to the bottom part of the millstone. The bottom stone, which is the same as four tfachim away from the rechev, which is the top stone in a millstone. It was narrower, so it would be a larger distance between it and the wall. And as a tanur, one needs to distance an oven. A tanur was an oven which was shaped like which was shaped like a cone, with a narrow with it being narrower towards the top. And again, the heat of the oven can damage the wall, so it needs to be distanced. Shaloshim akilya three tefachim away from the bottom part of the oven. which is the same as four tefachim away from the rim, the top of the oven. Again, so that the heat of the oven does not damage the other person's wall. Mr. Bates, in general, if somebody does something, for example, in his own property, and he distances his items the correct amount, that which the Mishnah says, but nevertheless, somehow damage is caused. Because he did what was what he needed to do, and his item was in a situation where it was permitted to be there, he is therefore in general exempt, at least that, that's how we're going to understand, that he would generally be exempt if damage is caused. However, we're going to see in this Mishnah a unique case where even if he does do what is incumbent upon him, if damage is nevertheless caused, he would be obligated to pay for that damage. One is not allowed to set up an oven inside his house on the lower story of the house, the ground floor. Unless there is a height of four amas above the oven, between the top of the oven and the ceiling, where somebody else lives in the higher story of the house, and so he needs to make sure that he has this distance between the oven and the ceiling, so that he doesn't end up starting a fire and damaging the other person's part of the property. If he was setting the oven up in a higher story of the house, so the bottom of the oven also gets very hot, and there needs to be at least three tfachim of plaster underneath the oven, on the floor, which is underneath the oven, once again, so that there's no danger of a fire. And when it comes to a kira, which is a sort of stove, which gets less hot than a tanur, the other oven which the Mishnah has discussed until now. So then it's enough tefach. There'd be one tefach of plaster on the floor underneath the oven. Now the Mishnah says, Vim hizik, if the oven did cause damage or it did cause a fire, 
then even if he did take the necessary precautions, which we just me- mentioned, he needs to pay for what he damaged. The reason being that since there is this constant chance of a fire, it's not a one-off danger, but it's constant. So we allow him to have the oven there, as long as he distances it with the correct things like we just mentioned, but on condition that he takes care. And he, he is aware that there is a constant danger which he needs to be looking out for. And therefore, if a fire is caused in the end, that it does cause damage, he is viewed as responsible and he would need to pay for the damage which was caused. However, that having been said, Rabbi Shimon, Rabbi Shimon says that the Chachom only said all of these measurements, the amount of space which one needs to distance an oven or all of the other things which are mentioned in this perek. The whole idea of these distances is... That that is the maximum that you need to do. Elosh in Hizik, such that if it does end up doing damage after you have done the necessary distances, Potom Rilashanim, you'll be exempt from paying because you did what is incumbent upon you to do in order to prevent the damage.